0: Second Peter chapter two verses seven through eight. And if he rescues righteous if he rescued righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. The second one is from Jude chapter 1 verses 6 through 7. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. The final verse we're going to read today is from Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 48 through 49. As I live, declares the Lord God. Your sisters Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy.
1: This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, we are still in our series on the patriarchs here, but I thought instead of having you stand for all of 18 and 19, I'd have you just stand for the uh, supporting scriptures. This is on Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, I noticed that a lot of pastors, when they preach on this, um, there's a lot of backtracking. And we don't do that with anything else. If I was going to preach on people who beat their wives, I wouldn't start with saying, "Um, Now, I have a lot of friends who are wife beaters, and I want you to know that we love wife beaters here at this church. I would just preach to you the God's word and say those who live this way will not inherit eternal life. And uh, in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, we have Sodom and Gomorrah. And for some 4,000 plus years, church history, the Jewish religion had considered the inciting sin, but not the only sin, but the inciting sin for the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah to be homosexuality. I will not pull any punches, but I want us to know that we do not look at this to say, well, I'm glad I'm not Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll get into that in a bit here. Last time on Patriarch, season one, Abraham, the man of faith, was renamed Abraham. And his wife, Sarai, is renamed Sarah, which means princess. Good for you, Sarah. Um, because kings will come from her. It's through her child that Abraham's line will be, will be reckoned. Let's go back to Lot, however, Abraham's nephew. We haven't heard much from Lot for quite a while here. Last time we were with Lot, he and his family were, uh, and all he possessed was captured in a war in the city in which he lived, that city-state of Sodom. And all of the things he owned, everything including his own life, were stolen by other nations, but he was blessed Because his uncle was Abraham. And Abraham came with God's power and 300 fighting men and overcome armies that five other cities could not overcome. He had lost his property. He had lost his property, his cattle, which was a source of tension which led them to split between each other, between Abraham and Lot. He had lost his family. He had lost his own freedom. And then he regains it all. And then what does he do? He returns to Sodom. When I was preaching on this, I said, like, Why? Why would he return to Sodom when he knows that Sodom is just a bruised reed? If you try to lean on it, it'll break and pierce your hand. But he's gotten used to Sodom. He's gotten used to the city life. He doesn't want to live in tents. You know, in in chapter 11 of Hebrews, when it talks about the men of faith, it talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. It said they lived in deserts in tents because they were sojourners. Lot lived in tents. He lived in that. Then he decided he would camp outside of Sodom. Then he was living in Sodom. And by the time we get to 19, he has a house in Sodom. Because he didn't want to live as a foreigner. He wanted to make his home in the city of sin. Chapter 19 really is about the consequences to continued disobedience. It's the consequences of being double-minded. It's the consequences of being lukewarm. Before Lot went over and decided to camp by Sodom and Gomorrah, he already knew from Genesis 13, 13. So we go way back. I don't know how long I've been preaching on this. I think Jess said like two, three months. I don't know if it's been that long or not. But... When I preached on chapter 13, I mentioned already in there, it was kind of a teaser for this chapter, is that chapter 13, verse 13, the men of Sodom had already given themselves a name for wickedness. So he already knew what he was getting into before he ever, show, ever shows up. In chapter 14, when he, in chapter 13, when they split between, their, between each other, um, it was Lot who decided to go to the more fertile, more prosperous areas and to live by Sodom. Chapter 18, last week we, we went through chapter 17 and how Abraham was given a sign of the covenant he had with the Lord, which was circumcision. The Lord was very clear as well, as it wouldn't be a child that he had through natural means with the slave girl Hagar, but with by supernatural means with his wife Sarai, who would be Sarah. In chapter 18, three men then, one of them being Lord God himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in the Old Testament, a Christophany, shows up at his door, or tent, or do tents have doors? Tents have doors, right? Shows up at his door, and he pleads with them to come and sit with him and eat with him. He knows that there's something special here. Whenever we see Whenever we see God in the Old Testament appear as a person to somebody, that's Jesus Christ. We, knew this, we know this from 1 John, where it says, nobody has seen the Father, but we have seen the Son. So this is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament appearing before Abraham, and, he, and Abraham pleads for him to come to his tent and to eat. And in chapter 18, um, these, the Lord and then these two angels, they approach Abraham, and he automatically has the idea who they are. He pleads with them to eat with him. The one man is, once again, a Christophany, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. He repeats his promises to Abraham and that within the year, Sarah Sarah would give birth and Sarah starts laughing. Last week, I talked about different types of laughter. Abraham had a laughter last week in chapter 17 in which it was not a laughter of doubting, but a laughter of joy that's unspeakable. Like you, in your heart, you believe this, but you... It's hard to come face to face with it, that through Sarah, his wife, they didn't have to compromise with Hagar, but through his wife, he would have a son. And through that son would be reckoned nations. He starts laughing in joy. But here in chapter 18, Sarah laughs in doubt. And we see the difference because the Lord is in chapter 17 and does not scold Abraham after Abraham laughs, but he does scold Sarah who laughs in doubt that this will happen. They sit down, they they speak together. They sit down, they speak together. He repeats to them the promise that within a year, the promise would come to be. Then the Lord decides to tell him why he is about this journey. It's not just to talk with Abraham and to talk with Sarah. No, he has heard the cries. He's heard prayers come up to his throne about Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities where Lot, his nephew, is living, and it's not good. You know, you ever wonder, I I always get to this part, and I'm always wondering, it's like, why does God have to come down? Why does Jesus say, I'm going to come down, I'm going to see for myself if what is being said is true? He already knows, right? He does already know. It's because God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Can I say that again? God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He delights in showing mercy. Does God know that they're going to reject, that they're going to try to Sexually assault these angels? Absolutely he does. But doing the righteous things mean you do it right anyway. Remember when Jesus, he's going to get baptized and John's like, don't get baptized. And Jesus says, it has to be done to fulfill all righteousness because that's what God does because of who he is. He is light and in him there is no darkness. So he comes down to see for himself and it's not because he's wondering because he lacks information, but it's to give them a last chance. And do they have a chance here even though God already knows that they'll reject it? Absolutely they do because Nineveh got their last chance and they repent. And you might think, okay, Sodom and Gomorrah, they're in a separate category. We don't have to worry about them. Not at all. I'm going to get into that. That this, these kinds of sins crop up so often. And Nineveh was known to be brutal in a brutal time, but God had mercy on them. Abraham, he hears about what God wants to do, and he starts bartering with God. He's, he starts with 50 people. If there are 50 righteous people, will you not spare the town? In fact, he says, should the judge of all the universe do right? And God says, without hesitation, all of, all of um, Abraham's bargaining here, 40 I and mean, 50, 45, all the way down to 10. And at 10, Abraham, he's scared to even suggest, God, for 10 righteous, would you spare the town? Without hesitation, he says, yep, I will. You know we find out in the rest of the chapter, in chapter 19, this is a tease as we get in here, is that for the sake of one, he would have spared the town. In chapter, in chapter 19, verse 22, the angel tells Lot, escape there quickly for I can do nothing until you arrive there. The Lord does not kill the righteous with the unrighteous in judgment. This is probably one of the clearest, clearest points of view when it comes to pre-tribulation rapture. See, it's not that God will spare us from martyrdom or trouble in this world. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We are not appointed to suffer the wrath of God, however. Please understand that. And then in 1 John, remember we went over that verse that said, perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with judgment. Abraham doesn't have a Bible. He doesn't know this. And he doesn't understand at this moment in time the limits to the grace and mercy of God. But to be honest with you, neither do I and neither do you. In fact, I remember a poet saying that if every, actually it turned into a song, that if every person was a scribe by trade, if all the oceans were ink and all the clouds were parchment, to write the love of God would drain the oceans and fill the skies. He doesn't quite know. The sins of Sodom here. Why was Sodom and the surrounding cities destroyed? Well, only until the last forty years the answer was very obvious in churches and in seminary it was very was very obvious in church history, in the Jewish religion. But for some reason, about forty years ago, I don't know, say for some reason, we know what the reason is, we have a lot of we have a lot of shepherds who shepherds who are hirelings who are more afraid of the wrath of the goats than they are of the wrath of the true shepherd. Um, Until 40 years ago, it was very clear that what the inciting, instigating, not the only sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, that being homosexuality. I've got my here, the works of Josephus, Flavius Josephus. He was a Jewish scholar, historian, contracted by the Roman government to write a history of the Jewish people. What was the Jewish mindset for Sodom and Gomorrah? Um, Was that... uh, i to get to the, the place I was looking here so I don't have to read the entire thing to you, um, is that they abused themselves with each other in sexual immorality. It didn't start that way, though. It started um, about this time, so- the Sodomites grew proud on account of their riches and great wealth, and they became unjust toward men. The impetus towards God in so much that they did not call to mind the advantages they received from him. They hated strangers and abused themselves with sodomitical practices. That would be sex of men with men. That was, that was the understanding. And about 40 years ago, people are like, no, it's inhospi- inhospitality. God does not destroy entire towns because they're rude to strangers. He does because their sins reach him. Draxon in uh, Avengers Infinity War, we may have asked the question, why is Gamora? But you ever wonder that too? How does a place get so bad? How does a place get so bad where we see such incredible evil to where they are just seeking to, once again, sexually assault angels themselves? Well, John Owen said, the seed of every sin is in every human heart. Here's the takeaway you should not have. This is not, should not be your takeaway at the end of the sermon today. Man, I'm sure glad I'm not like Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sure glad that I'm not like other men. That was, the, that was the Pharisee's prayer. But it should be, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. Jesus said on the day of judgment, it will be more bearable for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah than for the cities in Judea because they had more light and you have so much more light than they do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. In the story of Lot, we see this in living color. When Abraham and Lot separated, it was Lot who made his choice. And he didn't see through God's eyes or he tried to use God's wisdom. He used earthly wisdom. The place looked good. The city of Sodom seemed to be prosperous. Before long, he was living there, and at the start of 19, he is actually in the city gates. Chapter 19 is where we are picking up here. You might wonder, okay, this is a series on patriarchs. What does this have to do with the patriarch Abraham? Everything. Everything. The reason why God spares Lot is for the sake of Abraham. It's good to have, you know, it's, it's not so much what you know, but who you know. Make sure you know Jesus, right? Yeah. For Lot, he was really fortunate. He was really blessed that he knew Abraham, the man of faith. Chapter 19 really doesn't have Abraham except for a small bit towards the destruction. But it is because of Abraham that God spares Lot. So in verses 1 through 22, let's look at the main characters throughout this. We have Lot and his family. Two, we have the angels of the Lord. And three, the men of Sodom. Instead of focusing on one of them per point, we're going to focus on all three in the different sections here. We're going to start in verses 1 through 8, starting in verse 1 of chapter 19, and you can have the verses up as I'm preaching today. Once again, I thought I'd have mercy on you and not have you stand for the entire reading of the scriptures. Um, Verse 1 here. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night um, and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. Lot is at the gates of Sodom, and that's actually significant. It's not that he just likes to hang out at the entrance to the city. The gates is where business was conducted. It's where things were decided. It's where they would judge between things. And you know, you don't have to go beyond scripture for this to know history of the time. You just go to the book of Ruth. And if you remember, when Boaz wanted to make his claim to Ruth and to the property of his relative, he went to the gates of the city and the elders, and he made his case. So Lot, Lot, he he's camping out outside, he moves inside, he is now a civic leader in Sodom. You know, and what Becker read today from 2nd Peter, it said that his heart was afflicted be, be, because of the lawless nature of what he witnessed there. So why doesn't he do something about it? And this is where this is where American Christianity has failed America. Because we have gotten so steeped into wanting power that we then, we start letting things slip. Like I said before, if you go to a lot of churches, they preach on Sodom and Gomorrah, there's going to be all kinds of apologies for what's about to be said. I've got no apologies. I don't defend the Lord. He can defend himself. The soul that sin shall die. So he's travailed in spirit, but he's still wanting to climb up that political ladder. I'm going to name names today. Why not? Um, Al Sharpton is a pastor. I don't know how many people even know that. He's a pastor. And uh, he, um, after the George Floyd thing, and at the funeral of George Floyd, which was at an assembly of God university, he preached there. There's nothing of Jesus. There was nothing of turn away from your sins or you too shall perish It was all about the social constraints. You know what I was amazed is he actually kind of had a bit of scripture he could preach. I was like, so you understand it. You just reject it because you want a certain civic authority. So you might even be bothered by these things. You might say, oh, according to my personal feelings are bad. It's the problem when you make deals with the devil. The devil always gets the best end of the deal. There's this uh, parable in the Middle Ages about the devil coming to a man, telling him, okay, you know the seven deadly sins? Pick one. I will ignore all the rest with you. I'll only tempt you in one. And the man, already being a drinker, said, oh, I'll pick gluttony because I already drink and that's part of gluttony. And before long, at the end of the story, he's murdered his own father because he got so drunk. And the moral of the story is don't make deals with the devil and all sins are deadly sins. Lot sees these people. He's part of, once again, him being in the city gates. That tells us that he is part of the civic authority. And so he sees these men and he knows the city he's in. And he wants to protect them from the corruption and from actually even maybe their own lives being taken. So he urges them, unrelenting, for them to come into his house. They come, they eat, they get ready for bed, And you can almost sigh. You can almost have this collective sigh with Lot here. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I was able to save two people from the men of Sodom. And all of a sudden, hey, Lot, who's inside with you? Second Peter chapter two, verses seven and eight, Becker already read this, "And if he rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that, that he saw and heard." So that's Lot already right here. We have the angels. And in chapter 18, we see these angels' purpose. They have now come to, they have come to Sodom, Gomorrah, and they will see how they will treat two strangers. These two that Lot knows are important. He knows that they are important. They are truly more than that. They are angels. We are told that some of us has entertained angels unaware. I kind of liken the angels' purpose kind of like to the show Undercover Boss. I don't know if you've watched it. It's kind of bananas and a bit of corporate propaganda too. And I always like the ones where the uh, supervisor is being really mean and cruel and they have no idea they're being mean and cruel to the CEO. And then when they find out, they're all full of apologies. They're like, I'm so sorry, I fired you. <laughs> this is undercover. I mean, it's not the boss boss, but they don't realize they are entertaining angels unaware. They're here to bear witness. They're here to test. And the first test they have is for Lot. Will Lot let them move towards danger or will he or will he do what is right and for lots to lots credit he does what is right and in the new testament in second peter as we read lot is considered as righteous i tell you his righteousness is not due to his actions but due to faith he believed in the god of abraham even though he was a he was a compromised believer he was a wishy-washy believer he was a lukewarm believer he was double-minded he wanted to be both in the world and of the world. But we know we have to be we are in the world, but not to be of the world. They're there to test Sodom too. Our Lord Jesus, when he was on this earth, told a story about a final judgment and about those who would go to eternal life and those who would go to eternal death. And both of them asked why. And the Lord said, when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat or you gave me something to eat. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in or you didn't welcome me in. And he goes on to these things right here, and he says that out of faith, he out out of faith, they would do one or the other. And what would they do to the least of these? They've done to him. This is the angel's purpose. In verse four, we have the men of Sodom. Picking up here at verse four, but before they lay down, the men of Sodom, the men uh, the men of the city Bring them out to you and to do to them as you please, only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. The men of Sodom, first thing I want to point out the word man here, men, in all of Genesis up to this point, it is the gendered word for men. It's not just in general humanity that's inside of Sodom. No, the scripture writer by the Holy Spirit is telling us specifically the men. The men are outside there and they are calling out. And it's not just some of the men, it's not just the rich, but also the poor, not just the old, but also the young. All of the men. There's nobody there on the day of judgment who will be like, I I resisted, I was pushing against them, other than Lot himself. All of the men of Sodom are out there rich and poor, young and old. The men of Sodom have been building this reputation from a while for a while once again Genesis 13:13 13, 13, when Lot moved his tents outside of Sodom he knows all of this already and that's why he tried to save these two right there the NIV takes away all innuendo in verse 5 about what their intention is to know them this is a euphemism which means sexual relations they want to have sex with these men there's no other way of getting around this. Some people are rigid or business people who have another agenda, they'll say, "Oh, it just means," because the words literally mean just have an idea of who they are. Maybe they're spies." But we see the same language used for when he says, "I'll bring out my daughters who have not known a man." They are betrothed to men. They know of men, of course. But they haven't known a man. It's a euphemism that would be used throughout Genesis. For instance, when Adam knew Eve, she conceived and had a child. These men, they have made their intentions absolutely clear. In verses 6 through 8, these are somewhat difficult because we know that Lot is a righteous man, but he he acts very unrighteously by trying to offer up his daughters to this crowd. Dr. James White wonders, perhaps if this was a stalling tactic. I hope so. I don't know either way. One day when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask. Because man alive, they're your daughters, man. It just shows you how far he's fallen. You wonder, what would Abraham do in this situation? He probably would have gotten his spear out and started doing what he needed to do. Call his 300 men that he raised up. That's another good thing. I mean, so, so Lot has his own family, his daughters. Abraham does not have any children at this point, but he has 300 men born in his house that he's trained for war. You know how important discipleship is? It's so important. You know, we don't, have, we don't have activities every single day of the week because we want you to disciple your family. Everything we do is geared towards that, for families to disciple each other, to give you the tools so that you might every day get discipled so that you may have people around you that you make disciples so that we have something like that as opposed to being the only one outside that door making these compromises like Lot is. So that's one through eight. Obviously this hopeless situation in verses nine through 13 is where we'll pick things up here. The men of Sodom, the angels, and Lot in verse 9, after, after Lot has called them brothers, once again, how far has he fallen? He's like, he's not saying like, what are you going to do, you wicked people? He's like, brothers, don't do something so wicked. You know their response? Verse 9, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to the to break, de- break the door down. Don't judge me. Right? You hear that before? The only verse of the Bible anybody ever knows seems to be do not judge. The most out of context verse you'll find in the entire scriptures, totally subverting the meaning of it. Let me talk, to, talk about not judging. You know, I have on here, do not judge the so- sodomites. They get very angry and they might do worse to you than they would with others. You hear the thing, don't judge me, only God can judge me. And it's true, but only God will judge you. Here's what we're tempted to do. This is where we become judgmental. Jesus said, Do not judge in verse seven, in Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Do not judge, for whatever judgment you judge others with, you will be judged with. Whether you judge or not, you will be judged with the judging by the one who is the right judge. This is why I go verse by verse through the scripture. Or else I become the judge. Or else I come here and I'm like, this is what seems right to me. Let me tell you all the reasons for this. But if I go through the scriptures, I'm not the judge. I was talking with somebody, we were talking to this, and he was getting kind of upset with me. And I was like, here's the thing I can't judge people, homosexual, transgender, or whatever. The Bible already does that. And if I don't say what the scripture says, then I do become the judge deciding who I'm going to exonerate and who I'm going to condemn. When I know that the scripture condemns me, but I found life in Jesus Christ, so I tell others, the scripture condemns you. Find life in Jesus Christ. It is the only way. In verse 10, we see Lot has some guardian angels here. In verse 10, But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. I don't know what you think about guardian angels. Now, a lot of angelology is ridiculous and mythical, it's not based in scripture. But angels are amongst us, the angels go about unaware, they are not often visible. And they are working in our life because they are the messengers of God into our life for our good. They're ministering spirits, as the scripture talks about them. I heard a great illustration. I'm totally going to steal it from Skip Hendricks. Um, And that's uh, from Star Wars. Um, I grew up watching Star Wars The Next Generation. And Star Wars The Next Generation had the coolest video game ever. It was the holodeck. Star Trek. Did I keep saying Star Wars? Thank you. Star Trek. Oh, my word. Oh, man, I am in trouble. (laughs) I like both equally, which I know is like the the worst thing ever, but I really do. And in fact, um, the uh, DAOs, they made for me the Enterprise for the uh, Star Wars game, um, uh, Starfighter. And I can't wait to actually use that in one of our little battles and be like, oh, sorry, lasers don't get past the aft Uh, uh, deflector shields. And everyone's like, oh, don't get into this now, geez. Anyway, in in Star Trek, there's the coolest video game ever. It's the holodeck. In the holodeck, everything looks like a person, but it's made out of light. And you can interact with it, though it's not a person. Angels do not have bodies, but they appear as people with bodies because God allows them to do that in order to sometimes minister to us. Most of the time, they they show up as invisible. So Lot is putting himself between this mob and these angels, and they bring him in, and then they come out. Here's the thing. It's time for undercover boss. Time toward the end where they find out who they're messing with. (laughs) They come, they think that they're going to have their way with these two men and they strike them with blindness and here is such a good example of total depravity. Now, from youngest to old, can you imagine, you're like this 14-year-old boy in Sodom and this is just stuff you guys do in your town. You just... You indulge in everything, absolutely everything. And you think everybody should too. And here's these two men and you're wondering, okay, let's go, we're going to the door. And now all of a sudden, this guy, Lot, he's judging us and you get upset and you start going towards the door. These two men come out and all of a sudden you can't see anything. Can you imagine being so set on what you want to do? They're like, I don't care if I can't see anything. I'm going to still try to find my way. They were so set on their depravity that it didn't matter that they lost their sight. I don't really need to imagine that because I see it in our culture being celebrated. A number of years ago, I posted this on Facebook because I just couldn't believe this was going on. This woman, now this is long before everything had trans associated with it, but she, she identified with the blind community. Her eyes worked fine, but she would help blind kids and things like that. So she identified with the blind community and she, her, she had her counselor and her counselor took bleach Bleach in an eyedropper and put it into her eyes, and she said it hurt so bad as her eyes were burning out, but she said she was crying tears of joy because she's like, Now I'll finally be blind. That's what's happening here. They love their depravity so much. They don't care that they can't see anything. They are already spiritually blind, they're already mentally blind, but now they're physically blind. And it doesn't stop them one single bit. You know, I probably would have been surprised about this, but I have encountered people who had violence on their mind. And I know somebody with violence on their mind will not be stopped unless physically stopped. You cannot reason, you cannot shout, you cannot be gentle and try to talk them down. If they have violence on their mind towards somebody else, you need to stop them. Lot's family, there's a lot of grace in this story. There's a lot of grace in this story as we read on, verse 11. And they struck with blindness with the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? That's the angels asking Lot. Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out, out of the place. For, they are about, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people have become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Here's what I mean by grace in this story is that Lot's family hasn't really done anything. His sons-in-laws are presumably in the house or somewhere close by. They haven't done anything, but because Lot is associated with them, they have a chance at life. Unfortunately, they don't take it. And that's our next part right here, 14 through 22. We pick up here with Lot's son-in-laws. They, are his son, they call him their son-in-laws, though they have not yet been wed and known his daughters because he had said his daughters have not, have not known. So they are, we would say to be his son-in-laws, but in their reckoning back then, they would say, if you're already betrothed, you're basically family already. So like Joseph, when he is betrothed to Mary, looks to divorce her when he finds out she's with child. Not just simply break off the engagement, but divorce her. It's the same at this time too, starting with verse 14. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-law, to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting, jesting. That is the same word, root word. um, The same root word for that one is the same one for the name Isaac, which means to laugh. They laughed at him. You want to make people laugh today? Tell them, judgment's coming. Judgment's here. The late night comedians, if they get a hold of it, they will mock in derision, be like, well, get out already. The angels tell Lot to get all that belongs to him, all who belong to him, and to get out. He tells his sons-in-law, and they laugh at him. They think this is the funniest joke they've ever heard. You want to make people laugh today? Tell them that judgment is coming. Not in general, not climate change, not Russia, not a, physical, um, not a physical judgment of that kind, but God's wrath, very wrath, is coming. All the late night shows will make jokes. Your unbelieving family will laugh in your face. And you can imagine that because you can imagine Noah building his ark on dry land and all of the derision he must have went through because they don't believe it until the ark's door is shut. People, people still laugh about the ark. Lot's sons-in-laws, he may have thought that they were, they were the exception to the rule, but they're men of Sodom. That's difficult. I know some of you are old enough to where your kids are marrying age. And you're, you're taking a leap of faith with some of the people in their life, um, their, their girlfriends and boyfriends. And you're really hoping, man, I, I really hope they are what they seem because I don't want to marry my child off to a son and daughter of Sodom. Unfortunately for Lot, they are still men of Sodom. They laugh at him and they will not come with him. In verse 15, there's an urgency to this judgment. Lot has no idea the length of this. In verse 15, as morning dawn, the angels urge Lot, saying, "Up, Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. 16, but he, but he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand and the, Lord, and the Lord being merciful to him and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Lot has no idea what the judgment that's coming. I mean, there's been judgments already. Of course, there's been a worldwide flood and he knows about it, but he has no idea what's about to happen. So he's just lingering on thinking, well, we'll just kind of make the best of it. He has no clue what's about to happen. And he tries to barter with the angels too. Now the angels are just not having it. They're tired of his lollygagging and they take him by the hand. I like to almost think of him taking him by the scruff of the neck, but it says by the hand. You know that poem about the footprints? And it's like, okay, and then I got past this area and there's only one set of footprints and that God's like, that's where I was carrying you. It should be like, and what about those lines I see right there? That's that's when I had to grab you by the scruff of the neck and force you there's a fierceness to God's grace sometimes. Thank you, Jesus. Because I know in my life, there's been times where God told me, you need to move. You need to get out of this area. I have something else for you. And I wouldn't listen because I'm like, I'm not a quitter. So then God allowed something bad to happen. Well, not really bad. It was good. I didn't understand it as good at the time where I had to leave anyway. So, Lot, he's lollygagging. And finally, the angels, they just take him by the hand and they take him right out of the city. And verse 17, where we pick up here, Lot is not grateful. In fact, he tries to barter with these men. Verse 17, and as they brought them out, he said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. That's right, more than Sodom and Gomorrah is getting destroyed in this judgment. All of these Little towns by them. That's why in Ezekiel it talked about Sodom and her daughters. It's all these city states that were influenced by Sodom. You think about America and what burden we must have on us with our influence. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Lot has no clue of what's coming on here because in verse eighteen, and Lot said to them, "Oh no, my lords! Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Twenty. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And and my life will be saved." Seriously, <laughs> if you saw a mushroom cloud, would you be like, you know something? I think Corwith will be just safe enough distance. I'm getting out of here. I'm finding some place that's really safe. But Lot's like he's trying to barter with him because he doesn't understand God's judgment yet, and he doesn't want to go back to the tents. He wants to go to a city because he he isn't quite he he is he's double minded. He is righteous, but he does unrighteous things. He's lukewarm. And this it gets worse. It gets so much worse than this for lot. There's an urgency to the judgment. And by the way, there's an urgency for us too. Billy Graham said, has this famous saying, he says that if God spares America, he owes Sodom, and Gomorrah an apology. We read in Romans 1 what God does when he judges a people. And what you read in Romans 1 is America today and America's virtues today. Not that it's present in America, but it's our virtues. June is coming up. June is coming up. And in every nation around the world, we have an embassy. We'll, 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 rise, the, we'll rise the rainbow flag. And we'll call it pride after a deadly sin. God is judging America. He is judging America. Shouldn't there be an urgency? Because we are like angels in that we have a mission from God. We are messengers of God. That's what angel means. Should we not grab people by the hand and tell them flee from this evil generation? Having God's fierce grace on us. And Lot's pleading right here because he doesn't understand God's judgment. Abraham did not understand God's grace yet. But Lot did not understand God's judgment. Verses 21 and 22. I talked about this before. Abraham pleads with God, and he asks, "What about fifty? What about forty-five? What about thirty? What about 10? If Lot had stayed in that city, God would have spared it for one. Abraham didn't yet know God's grace. Even if, even then, if the town would have repented in sackcloth and ashes, it would have been spared, just like Nineveh. God would have let God. God could have let Lot die because of his constant dragging his feet. However, because of Abraham, his servant, God protects and preserves Lot's life. Lot even makes a stupid request about staying in a small town, and the angel grants it. Sometimes we make these stupid requests to God, and God says, fine, I guess we'll just find out the hard way. And you know, he does find out the hard way. He takes off from there, and he goes exactly where the the angels tell him. In verse 22, escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the uh, city was called Zoar, which means small town. Picking up here in verse 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur, um, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Take a look at verse 24 right here. Then the Lord... You notice that's spelt interesting in your in your Bibles. Hopefully, you're following along with in your Bibles. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I always sound like I always feel like I sound like the the goose from Charlotte's Web. Double L, double O, double R, double D. Um, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. They are translating the covenant name of God, the Tetragrammatron, which means four consonants. We believe it's pronounced Yahweh. So, if you read that. Then Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. Are there two Yahwehs? No, one in essence, three in person. This is one of the clearest trinitarian verses in the Old Testament, in which there's two persons of the Trinity. When witnessing to Jehovah Witnesses, and Jehovah Witness, by the way, is a bad translation. Of uh, the tetragrammatron, uh, Yahweh is a much better one when, when witnessing to them, and you 're talking about Jesus, and that the big thing they want to talk about well, is Jesus fully God? is He a God, or whatever? Point to this right here: No, he is Yahweh, He is Yahweh, He is Jehovah of the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 6, when it says that in the, in the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. The Lord he was seen was not God the Father, for no one has seen God the Father. He saw God the Son. We have Yahweh, out of Yahweh, out of Yahweh fire and sulfur rains down from heaven. Now there's different tri- explanations to this. I had read one earlier this morning about um, the whole region having a kind of reservoir of bitumite, which is a flammable tar. We read about that in chapter 13. Oh, uh, no, chapter 14, sorry. Chapter 14, when there was the war between the four and five cities, when they attacked Sodom, um, the people of Sodom fled. And they got stuck in these tar pits. Um, so there are some who theorize that perhaps God sent lightning down and ignited those those tar pits, which basically like throwing a match into a gasoline tank. Boom. Um, there's others who uh, um, there there are others who found um, these well looked like hailstones um, that were flammable. Actually, um, uh, your elder Dennis was telling me about that today. And when they looked at them, they tried to set them on fire. They they went on fire and melted. Um, however it is, we know this, God is the one who did this. God takes fully responsibility. And in Jude chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, we have, we have here scripture interpreting scripture. If we're not clear on scripture, scripture will tell us clearly what it means. In Jude chapter one, verse six and seven, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, um, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, verse seven, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality, uh, pursued unnatural desires, some of your translations say strange flesh, served an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So again, the, the historian Josephus backs this up. Sodom and Gomorrah absolutely does condemn homosexuality. It absolutely does condemn it. Many people, they will use, though, they will say, no, but in Ezekiel chapter 16, Becker read that, and unfortunately, you put verse 50 in there, I was going to make the statement of like, don't be good Bereans today, let me just read for you verses 48 and 49, because that's what people will do, and they'll say, no, it wasn't because of that, it was because they were inhospitable, because verses uh, uh, 48 and 49 say, as I live, declares the Lord, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Verse 48, behold, there was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. And they'll say, that's the reason, that was the big sin, is because they were not, oh, you got 50 up there already, right? Oh, no, no, good. Wait, no you got 50 up there. Ah, oh, man, I was going to make that a surprise. And everybody like, bigots, don't you see if you read your own Bible, you would know that Sodom and Gomorrah is not about homosexuality. Then you read the next verse. You're a good Berean, or as Natalie is showing you guys already, verse 50. Because verse 50 says, they were haughty and did an abomination before me. Before me. When was the Lord there? Here. What abomination, what toy vey, that's the Hebrew for abomination. There's many things in the Old Testament called toy vey. There's one thing happening in Sodom and Gomorrah at this time that's toy vey. It's men as they would have sex with women, but with men. Thomas Jefferson said, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Here's the response we should not have after all this. Thank you, God, I am not like other men, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Without Christ, without the righteousness that comes through by faith, we are Sodom and Gomorrah. We sin differently, but it's the same judgment that lives over us. There's this, uh, you, can show, you can find this on YouTube, and I, I encourage you to. It's called the Taliebo story. I've got a brief clip here. Wait until I cue you to play it. And this, it was this... Um, it was this people, this tribe over in Indonesia. They were so remote, even though the Indonesian government had not made contact with them yet. And so they allowed these two missionaries to go amongst them. And little did these missionaries know, before they got there, these people, they had some mythology around them of a people who were part of the Taliebo who knew about eternal life and they left. So for all their life, they're like, when are these people going to come back and tell us again about eternal life? Because we eat food and we die. We die and there is such great torment. What is happening through this? So these missionaries, they come, they start learning the language and it's really kind of funny because the people are like, our, our babies learn language easier than you. And I'm like, it's a good thing I'm not there. You'd be like, how, how can you be this stupid? Because I'm really terrible with language. And um, they learn the language eventually. They get some things squared away about certain biblical statements and they start taking them through Genesis to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they tell them all the stories. And here's what happens when they get to Sodom and Gomorrah. Play.
0: As we taught them about the sinful cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the people said, I'm telling you, our lives are the same as those people of Sodom, the same as those people of Gomorrah. They began to fear God's judgment on sin. From then on, they referred to their two villages as Sodom and Gomorrah.
1: That should be the response when we hear about Sodom and Gomorrah, not, thank you, God, I'm not like them, but without the Lord, that is where I would be. You understand how thankful you should be for your salvation? We take it for granted so often. We're talking with somebody and they're like, oh, no, no, you need, you need to do all of these other things. I was like, no, we need to remember what we've been saved from. We need to realize that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Or as the Taliebo said, we would be like Sodom. We'd be like Gomorrah. We'd be those who are an example of eternal destruction. Here's the thing that's really sad, is that we think it's loving to not warn people about the coming destruction. It's not. We know that if you live like this, you won't inherit eternal life. But we'll say, okay, because I don't want to be seen as unloving. I won't tell everybody about this. If your doctor knew you had cancer, didn't say a word about it, would you say he's loving? If your bus driver knew the brakes were cut and let you get on board anyway, would they be loving? You know, it's, it's a, there's a good reason why in Revelation, it talks about, the, about the, those in hell, Part one, one type of person is the coward. Because it's not loving, it is hateful. But God, first Corinthians chapter six, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I was in a Dollar General the other week and I overheard some of the clerks talking and they were talking about this thing and they said, oh, they, they say that all these, and I don't know who they were that they were talking about. And they say, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, they say homosexuals are going to hell and everybody who's not like them. I wanted to interrupt him like, and everybody else too that's like them too. And every person who has not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. We could go through the, we could go through the 10 commandments. If you always put God First. No? Have you lied? Yeah. Have you stolen? Yeah. Have you hated somebody in your heart? Yeah. So by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, idolater and murderer at heart. And you have to face God on judgment day. And for me to tell you, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Just as long as you're serious about what you believe. And then they get to the end of their life and the Lord says, away from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And then you come up to the judgment seat and he says, and he tells you, you knew and you didn't say. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. 1 First, First Corinthians also includes a list of sins. And among them is homosexuality, but many others as well. You know what it says as well? As some of you were, past tense, but you've been washed. There's the great blasphemy of our age is that the Holy Spirit can truly change you, can truly give you freedom of what you once were and give you a new heart with new desires. Whoa. So you don't have to back down from the, God, the truth of God's word in your relationships with other people. Maybe you're here today and you're awfully angry with me and you're like, I'm not coming to this church anymore. They hate people. Now I, I love you. I love you so much. That I'd rather have, you hate me. And that through that, you might see the light of the glory of God. Amen. And that I might see you in heaven, will embrace his brothers and sisters. Amen. Lot here. This story ends terribly. And I'm so glad this isn't where the Bible ends, or else this would be a really bad ending Lot, he ends up fleeing to the mountains. That's the rest of this chapter. He ends up fleeing to the mountains with his daughters. His wife looks back at the destruction. She can't quite let go Sodom and Gomorrah. She knew just as well as Lot did, the stuff that happened there were really, really bad, but she couldn't look, she couldn't let it go. And she gets turned into a pillar of salt because the angels told them, don't look back. And she looks back, remember Lot's wife. They flee to the mountains and his daughters are convinced that the world's done. Like I said before, who knows what this looked like? Probably like a mushroom cloud. It's probably like a nuclear bomb going off. Like the world's done. All we have is our father and or else there won't be any more humanity. Didn't they wonder about Abraham? If they knew any person in their life that was blessed by God, it was their uncle Abraham. They saw Abraham overcome an army so much greater than his own. What about Abraham? Why don't we go back to Abraham? Well, it's kind of the sin of pride, isn't it? why doesn't Lot go back to Abraham? The problem's solved. He no longer has any herds or herdsmen. He can go back to Abraham. But he doesn't go back to Abraham because they ever make that decision and it's hard to to admit I was wrong? So they're there and they decide, oh yeah, there's no more men. So they get their father drunk and they lie with him. And two nations who oppress Israel come from that lineage. In J.C. Ryle's commentary on this chapter, this just sticks with me too. He's like, by the end of this chapter, Lot has become like one of the men of Sodom. Because he told them, here's my two daughters who have never known a man. Do with them as you please. And maybe not by his own will, but he's become like the men of Sodom and the men of Gomorrah. In Joshua, the, he says, how long? No, sorry, not Joshua, but... In uh, 1 Kings, Elijah speaks to the people of Israel. He asks them, how long will you shift between two opinions? If the Lord is God, let him be God. If Baal is God, let him be God. We do not so much have that, but we do have this thing of like Lot where we want to be in and of the world. We want to be thought well of this world. You can't serve two masters. And the more you do, you'll become more like the world and the world become like you. Believe this. You know, I I want to push back against something for the last, like, 30, 40 years. The most important thing in your life isn't evangelism. For you to go off and you're saying, okay, I got to evangelize the drunks by being in the bar, even though you have a problem with alcohol, you would then lose your peace with God. That's not okay. Your most important thing is relationship with God. And then we find other ways by the grace of God and only by the grace and holy, power of the Holy Spirit are you going to be successful in evangelism anyway. We make our little compromises because we want to live inside. We want to be the magistrate of Sodom. We want to be at the gates. How long will you shift between two opinions? Or in Revelation, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Worship team, would you come up at this time? Maybe you don't know the Lord today. Maybe me preaching on sin today got you awfully mad. Or maybe because of the work on the Holy Spirit, you realize I'm no better either. And I need to find the one who would save me. I remember speaking with this gal when I was working overnights at Target stocking shelves. And we were talking about the things going on. She was awfully concerned about her own soul. And I, I said, you know something? I'm no better than you, but I just, have a, I just have somebody who saved me from my sin. And she asked, who's going to save me from my sin? Jesus Christ will save you from your sin. If you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus today. If you know the Lord, be grateful of what he has saved you from and continues to save you from. And then also, stop wavering between two things. Stop trying to be in and of the world at the same time decide, no, I am going to follow Christ. I'm going to turn away from the things that I once loved so I can love him better. Would you please stand with us as we sing our final song? This is our moment to reflect on the word of God today.